Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know everyone's probably feeling pretty good right now. And who can blame Jets fans right now for uh, for being happy with the not just the second win in a row, but just the overall direction of the team. Plenty to talk about tonight. Of course, uh, Sam Arnold, who had what was easily his best game as a pro of his, his very young career. And if you're like me, you probably find yourself from time to time having to remind yourself that this guy's 21 years old. It's crazy doing veteran things. He keeps doing things. I made this point a couple months ago after the first or second game. I can't remember when exactly. But it's bizarre that this guy at 21 and he's six games into his NFL career and he's doing things that Mark Sanchez, that Geno Smith they weren't doing in year three, four, five. Game six, we see him doing things that we've not seen from a quarterback in, in for for many of us in forever, ever. You know, it, Joe Namath was a long time ago, folks. As we know, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Super Bowl three during this game too, which is still a great moment because I mean, let's face it. The team only has one Super Bowl win, but if you only had one, that's the one to have because it, you know, by all accounts, that game changed the league, created the league, you know, stopped the AFL from disbanding and, and, and you know, created the NFL. Um, but that aside, Sam Darnold looked fantastic. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some other top players, guys who stood out. There were many. Talk about some trade rumors. For those of you who haven't heard by now, I'm sure most of you have. Chandler Jones, uh, some talk about the Jets trying to pursue him. We're going to talk about uh, the O-line this week. Again, it's kind of not so much beating a dead horse, but let's face it, this is a week-to-week topic because it's so in this team succeeding and in Sam Darnold succeeding that if they don't, you know, if they don't play well, it's going to be ugly. Um, but they have been. Uh, Jets also hosted Richard Matthews today, wide receiver, who was let go by the Tennessee Titans at his request. Bizarre, bizarre situation with that, in all honesty. We'll talk about that as well. Some injury news with Quincy Nunwa and Marcus May. We'll talk about some of these young defensive guys who stepped up this week. And we'll preview the Minnesota game. The uh, Vikings come to town with Kirk Cousins with some uh, some pretty some pretty heavy firepower on offense and defense for the Vikings. But first, <clears throat> before I go any further, I want to take a chance to uh, – Say thank you to our new sponsor, Jet Nation Radio's new sponsor, TheLinebacker.com. Football's back, and that means for a lot of us guys that the start of donation to the uh, your local sports book is underway, and it does feel that way sometimes, but it doesn't have to be that way. Linebacker produces winning sports predictions based off thousands of game simulations. Easy to use, customized betting profile tells you which team to back and how much to bet. Our listeners can get 25% discount on their first linebacker purchase when you use the promo code JETNATION, J-E-T-N-A-T-I-O-N, at thelinebacker.com, thelinebacker.com. Sign up today, you get a free trial and uh, some winning picks to make some money. So give them a look. 
I know for me personally, a good good, uh, good Sunday. I, I, I you know I, I'm having some bad Sundays with with the uh, with the old uh, gambling. Uh, you know I don't go out of control. A few dollars here, well a few a few pounds sterling here, a few there. But I uh, threw some money on a a combo bet. Chris Herndon scoring his first NFL touchdown, and the Jets winning. Got that at fourteen to one, so I won a few bucks there. So not not a bad Sunday on that front. But I will be checking out thelinebacker.com as well. Like I said, new sponsor got them signed up and on board. So starting starting right off, huge win for the Jets. There was the far the, the good far outweighed bad, but that's not to say there wasn't some bad along the way, because there certainly was. It was a 42-34 win. The secondary, secondary was up and down, but they, you know, the secondary is really what got it started. Morris Claiborne returned to pass Andrew Luck passed 17 yards for a, for a, for a touchdown. It was a ball, ball by the receiver. The Colts dropped. They had some issues. Ball by the receiver. Jamal Adams was in position to get the interception. Didn't get it, but got a hand on it. That batted it up. Morris Claiborne grabbed it and ran it back for a score. Then the Colts answer back. Marcus Johnson, 34-yard pass from Luck on a play where rookie corner Parry Nickerson was uh, was beaten soundly, but it did look like there was some miscommunication. Um, anytime you see a guy looking around before the, the guy he's defending even crosses the goal line, chances are he's looking around as if to say, where's my help? Um, so either he was expecting help and it didn't come, or... Uh, he was expecting help, and he was just wrong because he wasn't getting any. So whatever the whatever the reason, bad look for Nickerson. And then the Jets go up 10-7 on a Jason Myers field goal. And, man, was there a lot of that. New team record. Certainly uh, can't see how he wouldn't win special teams player of the week. Jason Myers, seven field goals. Unbelievable. Seven field goals. Crazy. Adam Vinatieri and the Colts would put up the next set of points with Vinatieri connecting in the second quarter from 21 yards and then from 31. That put the Colts up 13-10. Then we saw Terrell Pryor pulling his his second touchdown of the year on a pass that I'm, if you're not following Brian Baldinger on uh, on Twitter, you should. He does some amazing breakdowns. Um, Dan Orlovsky did a breakdown of it, another guy who you should be following on Twitter if you aren't already. And basically broke down how Darnold just timed this throw perfectly. Not only timed it perfectly, but delivered it in a, a perfect spot. Couldn't have been any better. Um, started started to make a throw before Pryor had broken to face to face uh, to face Darnold to see the ball coming. By the time he turned around, the ball was there and hit him right in the chest. Two defenders on either side. The ball squeezed in right between Fantat one of the best I'll ever see. <clears throat> then it was Jason Myers again on consecutive uh, consecutive scores. This time he hit from 48 and 32 at the half. And uh, and let's talk about I'm going to talk about that for a second because that's something I've seen touched on a little bit. And I know I had the same thing going through my mind as I was watching that game. The fact that the Jets were up 20 to 13 and they didn't sit on the ball. They had the ball. Halftime was just couple minutes away and Todd Bowles actually decided to let his offense 
score. He didn't muzzle him. He didn't neuter him. Didn't tell him to take a knee. Let's happily go to the the locker room with a seven-point lead, which has been his M.O. for a few years now, since getting here, really. Even when, you know, we, we all remember how bad Ryan Fitzpatrick was his second year here. First year, good. Good enough that Todd Bowles insisted on having him back the, the following season. But when he had Ryan Fitzpatrick, Todd Bowles wouldn't have done that. Coach scared. Last year, with Josh McCown playing the best football of his life. We're not talking Pro Bowl, but we're talking pretty damn good. Same thing. Kept seeing him sit on the ball, take leads, coach scared. Is it because his job is on the line? Is it because he knows he can't keep giving games away? That Todd Bowles is saying, you know what? I'm going to let this kid go for it. I'm going to let my offense try to try to pad this lead a little bit as we get as we head toward the half. Because, you know, I, I would have to go through every single game. I can't sit here and say that I know off the top of my head he has never, never gone for it inside of two minutes with a, with a being able to get a score. But we all know without having to look up any past games, far too often we've seen Todd Bowles just happily take a small lead, big lead, whatever. Coach scared. He didn't coach scared this week. Let his offense go. And I'll tell you what, that's the turning point for Todd Bowles. That was one of the one of my, as a fan, one of my biggest issues with him. I felt like we saw it a lot in his first year. It bothered me. But, you know, you say, all right, first year, he'll, you know, as he goes, he'll understand. And I'm not sitting here saying, you know, that I understand being a coach better than Todd Bowles does. But as a fan, you see that the great coaches rarely sit on the ball with a minute and 40 to go in the half, or a minute and a half to go. They, they try to score. So this is the turning point. Chris Ogo put the Jets up 23-13. And then Chris Herndon picked up his first NFL touchdown on a 32-yard strike from Darnold, 32-yard catch and run. That makes it 30-13 to in the Colts. Come back with a touchdown of their own, Eric Ebron, 18 yards from Andrew Luck. Then Jason Myers again, 37 yards this time. Makes it 33-20. Colts come back, boom, score a touchdown, 33-27. This was a, this was a back and forth. I mean, these two teams just, I mean, when a ton of lead changes, the scoring, like, no, it didn't stop. Everyone just kept scoring. The next three scores were all Jason Myers. All in the fourth quarter. He hits from 45. He hits from 37. He hits again from 45 for his seventh field goal. Unbelievable. Then the Colts put one on the board with a minute 51 to go. Cheddar Rogers again from Andrew Luck. And that was that was probably the most concerning thing in this game was that Andrew Luck was able to have as much success as he did with really a, a pedestrian receiving core. To give up that many, to give up, you know, he had over 300 yards, four touchdowns, you know, that's that's a lot. for And the Colts had a lot of drops, too. I mean, let's not forget the the, uh, the Colts did the Jets some favors. And, I mean, the Jets had some big, well, a, a big, probably what I thought was, was the best throw of the day out of Sam Darnold uh, was, ended up being a drop by Robbie Anderson where they had to settle for a field goal. 
So both teams had drops, but the Colts just had, had like the Colts had bunches. Um, Jets struggled against the run a little bit. Uh, Marlon Mack and Niam Hines. I'll, I'll tell you what, those guys, I think, uh, well, I think I know um, when they were coming out, Niam Hines this year, Marlon Mack, when he came out, both times I had them mocked to the Jets. I like both those backs a lot. Hines, a versatile guy, really good hands. And Marlon Mack just has, you know, has a lot of wiggle. Um, and I, I knew they would be, you know, a tough battle, tough matchup. And uh, Hines didn't do a ton on the ground, but Mack did 12 for 89. But at the end of the day, Jets come out with the win in a game that saw Sam Darnold, as I said, best game as a pro. Sam Darnold went 24 for 30. And one of those attempts was a spike. So really that's 24 for 29. And then you had the drop touchdown by Robbie Anderson. That's 25 out of 29. Uh, I want to say Sam Donald was, uh, he, he was, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one uh, completion percentage for to completion percentage in the NFL week. Uh, actually, for quarterbacks with more than one attempt. Because uh, the great, the great, the immortal, the vindicated Geno Smith went one for one for the Chargers. 100% completion percentage per PFF. But Darnold, I mean, you can't say enough about the way the guy played. And one thing, I will say this, surprising thing, based on what we saw from Darnold in college, based on what we saw in camp and the preseason, he hasn't been as good on the move as expected. And Jeremy Bates has realized that. And I think the offensive line is settling down to the point where the Jets feel a bit more comfortable letting Sam Donald drop back. We're not we're not seeing six, seven, eight rollouts per game like we did earlier in the year. Donald's standing tall in the pocket and, and making big throws. And that, I mean, that old line, that performance was absolutely fantastic. Another two sacks, no big deal. I counted nine pressures when I went back and rewatched the game. I think Pro Football Focus had him down, had the O line down for eight pressures. So this offensive line now, uh, depending on which resource you want to use, who you want to look at, if you just want to look at sacks, if you just want to look at sacks per snap, if you want to look at time to throw in the pocket or time from snap to throw, um, no matter where you're looking. When it comes to pass protection, this whole line's doing pretty damn good. And when you know, when you look at, you know, when you use a resource like Pro Football Focus, I think I mentioned this previously. When you just look at pass blocking, that's taken into account everybody. So you can look at a grade and all the pass blocking is, you know, the Jets are rating 18th, which I think they are. But that's taken into account backs, receivers, tight ends. Their pass blocking is a part of that equation. When you eliminate that and you just go to the pass blocking efficiency, which only includes your O-linemen, the Jets are 10th in the NFL. So they've, they've cracked the top 10. Kelvin Beach, how about some credit for Kelvin Beachum? You, you, what bothers me about, you know, the, the negativity that sort of permeates this fan base at times, Kelvin Beachum, and we talked about this when we had him on the show, he faced Miles Garrett and shut him out. No sacks. 
As I said, Garrett had a couple, but those were up the middle. But Garrett didn't beat Beecham for a single sack. Von Miller didn't beat Beecham for a single sack. This weekend, Kelvin Beecham earned a off the charts 88.8, I think, was his grade from PFF. Didn't allow a pressure or a sack. I don't see anything about that on Twitter. You know what? That's partly my fault. I'm going to put something on Twitter about that later. But when he got beat, remember that throw against Jacksonville? When he got And he got beat badly. He got beat badly right off the snap where Darnold lofted the ball toward looked like a throwaway and Chris Herndon made the catch. That was a play where Kelvin Beecham got torched. I saw that all over Twitter from Jets fans and non-Jets fans. Oh, look what Sam Darnold has to deal with. Yes, there will be times, there will be plays where there is a pressure applied. But you get a guy like Kelvin Beecham, who's doing a great job week in, week out. And people only want to bring up his name when he, when he gets beat. Nobody's saying he, he shut down Garrett. Nobody's talking about shutting down Von Miller. So Kelvin Beecham is earning his money this year. And really, let's be honest, outside of Spencer Long, the whole offensive line is. And Long was better this week. Something, uh, something's got to happen with the snaps. These, these uh, shotgun, shotgun formation snaps have been a disaster. And for some reason, and I'm actually going to check the transcripts, I haven't heard, I haven't heard Todd Bowles address that. Uh, I checked last week's transcripts. I haven't this week's transcript. And when I watched the, the presser, I didn't hear it mentioned. But that doesn't mean that uh, it wasn't. So I'll take a look through that. But I don't know that that's been brought up. And I don't know why, because it is an issue. But just by and large, across that line, you, you can't do a lot better in, in terms of protecting the quarterback. And, I, you know, James Carpenter, far better than I expected. Again, Long has struggled. Winters has been absolutely fantastic. And then Brandon Shell. Brandon Shell hasn't been great, but he's been pretty good in the run game and, and pass blocking, which is which is good to see because that was not the case early on. He was he was a far better pass blocker than he was a run blocker. But right now, all these guys are playing well. They're playing better than a lot of people thought they would. And that that's a reason for the success that they're they're having right now. Now, it's, it's there's going to be some battles this week because Minnesota has some guys who can get after the quarterback. But listen, if you shut out Von Miller or Miles Garrett, and I'm not talking just about Kelvin Beecham because, you know, it's not like he lined up on those guys every single play. But Miller and Garrett, if you can shut them down, you might be able to contain some of Minnesota's pass rushers, you know, namely Daniel Hunter, who's a monster off the edge. But give give Kelvin Beecham some credit, and we're going to talk about that, or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to look into that a little more, and uh, and give him some, the credit he deserves. And another w- one interesting note that I mentioned at the top, Chandler Jones. So Chandler Jones. Absolute defensive stud, 17 sacks last year. I think he's got a sack this year in four or five consecutive games. 
But the Arizona Cardinals are going nowhere fast. And I want to say it was on CBS, Boomer Esiason, former Jets quarterback, current analyst, he said that he can see he believes the Jets are trying, not will try. He said he believes they're trying to make a move for Chandler Jones. I mean, the guy's owed $20 million next year. So, And I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look and see what the cap hit would be for Arizona if they were to deal him. I haven't had a chance to uh, look that on overthecap.com, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull that up while I'm talking. But Chandler Jones, you bring in a guy like that, I mean, talk about dynamic defense. That would be... Uh, you had an edge run of defense, which, as we know, they don't really have right now. That would be absolutely unbelievable. Really would. Um, and looking at it, though, I'll tell you what, I don't see that deal happening now. Let's see. The, the, yeah. This says Arizona would absorb a $20 million cap hit if they were to trade Chandler Jones. I'll tell you what, I think Boomer's on something. Either that or, uh, I mean, I can't see the Cardinals being that desperate to unload somebody, take a $20 million hit for a guy who's not on your roster. So that's, uh, we may be able to bury that Boomer rumor right there. $20 million, that's a ton. Absolute ton. But the defense, as I said, gave up a ton of yards, which is unfortunate, because uh, they had an opportunity to come out against a team, as I said, with with really without a lot of without a lot of star power on offense. You know, there were some guys that they should have been able to ideally should have been able to shut down. That didn't happen, and unfortunately, you know, the game was closer than it needed to be. There's no reason why the Jets won that game by a couple scores um, or by a couple touchdowns. It was much closer than it had to be. Now, I know, of course, Tremaine Johnson was out. Buster Screen was out. I get that. I know Nickerson struggled. There were you know, some some issues in coverage for Jamal Adams. But really, in going back and looking at some of those plays, the one play against Eric Ebron where he was looking for a push-off, it looked like there was a push-off. That was, uh, I saw it earlier. I think I want to say uh, Manish Mehta, New York Daily News, tweeted that out. I hadn't got. I only watched the first couple minutes of the 22 today, so I'm not gonna not gonna talk a whole lot about that because I didn't see as much of it as I would have liked. But to say that, uh, to, or or to have to accept the fact that this defense gave up as many yards as it did to this offensive to to this offense, you know, that obviously has a great quarterback in Andrew Luck, but really you're not dealing with the top shelf receivers that you would normally have to deal with. And the Jets still couldn't find a way to shut them down. So that, you know, a little bit disheartening, but far from the end of the world. And going over the top performers for the game. I mean, there were there were a lot of guys who played well. And this is the thing. Right now, and I, I pointed this out after the game, Jets are 3-3. Three and three. When they win, their average margin of victory is 19 points, or 15 points, I want to say. That's a, that's huge in the end. In this league, with this parity, the number of games you decided by less than a field goal or less than a touchdown, and the Jets, when they're on, they're they're demolishing people. 
They really are. But right now, it, the consistency isn't there. It's just not there. You can't you can't look at this team and feel confident on a week to week basis on which team might show up, which is frustrating because you know the talent's there now. And I, I talked about this. I did I did um, the No Fly Zone podcast. Biff Sweeney, Richard Tinley, out of uh, out of Ireland. They do a great job. Diehard fans. I hop on their show every now and then and talk Jets. And uh, I, I raised the point that I see people saying, and like I said earlier, Todd Bowles, hopefully he's turned the corner. Hopefully he's a guy who's going to have more trust in his offense now than he has in the past, whether it's desperation or a philosophical change, whatever the reason. But when I hear people say that people shouldn't be getting on Todd Bowles, how can you get on Todd Bowles after a win like this? And I may have even said this last week. But I'm going to say it again because it's still it's still a real thing. To say that people shouldn't be upset with Todd Bowles because the Jets had some blowout wins. I mean, I get the emotional high of the wins, but it does make me look at the games they lost and say, we had the talent that you have enough good players to beat these teams. And they do. But, you know, let's uh, we'll see where they go from here. You know, I, I I predicted this team would go nine and seven, and when they started one and three, I was like, oh boy, we might be looking at a we might be looking at a four and twelve. Because let's face it, the way they were playing, you looked at the schedule. I looked at the schedule anyway, and I thought they're not beating Denver. I I thought I didn't think uh, I didn't think they'd be able to contain that defense as well as they did. And then I looked and said, they're not beating Andrew Luck. If you can't beat. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield, you're not beating Andrew Luck. So I'm looking at that thing in one and five. And then a week at Minnesota might be the best team on the schedule so far. Thought that was one and six. So I was I was thinking, boy, that nine and seven. And it, hey, look, they may not win another freaking game. I don't know. I mean, they will. So I'm not sitting here saying, ah, I was right. Nine wins. They still might only get to six or seven. But... Things are looking a lot better now than they were a couple weeks ago because the talent is starting to, you know, play to its potential. Still have and how does this ha- how does this happen? How how do you and, and uh, I'm not even going to get into it because if you listen to the show, I've said it a million times, but I really thought that after the way the offense played the last couple weeks, idiots like Colin Cowherd would back off from his idiot comments about this team not having any weapons on offense. Um, but he said it again this week. Marginal. Marginal offense. Sam Darnold doing great, playing great, which we all agree. Uh, and doing so with marginal weapons. A guy like Robbie Anderson, who leads NFL in 40 touchdown passes over the last 22 games, more than any other receiver in the NFL, isn't a weapon, then I don't know what the hell is. Quincy Anuno, who's dinged up now, watch that guy run with the ball in his hands and tell me he's not a weapon. Look at Isaiah Crowell. As I said before, a couple years ago in Cleveland, he was almost at five yards a carry. I'm not saying he's, you know, an all-pro running back, but he's pretty damn good. We all know Bilal Powell. I don't know how Bilal Powell does it. I seriously don't. I feel like every time he gets the ball, he's got 
You see him go up the middle. It looks like there's nothing there. And he squirts through for six yards. Just does it every, every time. Six yards, seven yards, eight yards, nine yards. On, on plays where it looks like there's nothing there. He's uncanny. So, again, you know, no. He, Blah Powell's not going to Canton. But he's a damn good player. He can do everything well. Catch it, run it, block. So, but there's still people out there. His team has no weapons. I don't know. Uh, the team has weapons. We've we've seen it. We've watched the games. We've seen what these guys can do when they're put in a position to succeed. So when you have the O line blocking the way they are, and you have the weapons you have at your disposal on offense, and you have some of these guys on defense playing out of their minds, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams had a forced fumble that knocked Robert Turbin out of the game. Hit him so hard he dropped the ball and headed to the locker room. That was the last we saw of him. He had two deflections that were both intercepted. Avery Williams said it had one of the picks. He's playing out of his mind. Henry Anderson's been fantastic. Leonard Williams, if you haven't seen this one, the Darren Lee interception, go back and watch that. And watch Leonard Williams take Quentin Nelson and just take him off his feet and throw him into the pocket. Leonard Williams picked up a 320-pound man and threw him back into the pocket. I believe that's what led Andrew Luck to say, let me get rid of this ball now. Because once once Quentin Nelson was on his back, all Leo had to do was get up and, and chase down Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck knew it. So he throws that ball, boom, intercepted by Darren Lee, who made another big play. And happy to say it, things keep going this way, and I was I was dead wrong on Darren Lee. Maybe not as wrong as some others. I, there were a lot of people that had completely dismissed him uh, coming into this year. I was I was probably ninety percent of the way there. And actually, I, I did say I said and I wrote earlier this year that uh, it was time for him to start making some impact plays because the excuses about being a a guy who was converted to linebacker during his college years, he was raw at the position, which was all true. And that's what I said for his first couple of years. Yeah, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And I was, I'll tell you, I was worried after camp. Training camp, every time I watched him on a, in a one-on-one drill, getting beat, get, didn't see any passes defended, interceptions. Team period, same thing. Just saw him getting beat consistently. And I thought to myself, well, he looks like the same exact guy to me, and I don't see that. Uh, I don't see how that's going to change magically. Well, it did. Darren Lee has been fantastic, and really, with Darren Lee playing the way he is, it kind of takes this draft class, this Mike McCagney draft class from a few years ago, that so many people have been dogging at nauseam, which I get it. You know, the Christian Hackenberg pick is uh, will forever be viewed as one of the worst picks the franchise has ever made. And, uh, I mean, <clears throat> he's not the worst because second-round busts are nowhere near as bad as uh, those first-rounders, and the Jets have plenty of those. I think it's pretty safe to say Vernon Golston owns that distinction. Bust ever, or draft pick ever, biggest bust. But you look at that 2016 class now, that, you know, because Darren Lee was struggling – because Christian Hackenberg was kind of a joke, 
because Justin Burris wasn't establishing himself as a legitimate player, because nobody expected Sharon Peak to make this roster, including myself, I think a lot of people looked at this class and went, eh, you might have one or two players. Another terrible draft class by Mike McCagnan. Well, now, all of a sudden, Darren Lee is playing like a first-round pick. Yeah, Hackenberg's gone. Jordan Jenkins, a third-rounder, he's playing pretty good, too. He's got himself a few sacks. He's got a bunch of hurries. Does a nice job against the run. Burris, I think, as I mentioned, I, I think Justin Burris is on this roster right now because of Buster Screen's concussions. I think he was going to be the guy to go. I think he was going to be out the door once, uh, once who was it that came back? Uh, Richard Robinson. I thought once Robinson came back, Burris was gone. Screen gets the concussions. Burris is still on the roster, but I don't think that's going to last. But then you got Brandon Shell, who I talked about earlier, is having himself a really nice start to the season. Looks like he's going to be a, a quality right tackle for years to come. Lachlan Edwards, you know, people don't like talking about punters being good picks because they're punters and they're, it's not sexy. But listen, when that guy flips the field, I mean, he's one of the better punters in the NFL right now. And then Sharon Peak. Oh, man, he's, who cares? He's just a special teams guy. He's a seventh-round pick. Most of them are gone after year one anyway. Sharon Peak's found a way to stick around, found a niche on special teams. I would say probably the best gunner on the roster. But he's a contributor now. And if, he, if not for the hamstring, he might have had a chance to to get involved this week with Quincy Inunua down and Terrell Pryor nursing a, a, a groin injury. But he's got a hamstring himself, so who knows what his status will be. He's been out for a couple of weeks. But you look at that draft class now. You look at that 2016 draft class. Darren Lee, first-rounder playing like a first-rounder. Jordan Jenkins getting to the quarterback, getting pressure, stopping the run. Brandon Shell, legitimate starting right tackle. Lachlan Edwards, one of the best punters in the league. Sharon Peak, one of the best cover guys on the team on specials. That's not a bad draft all of a sudden. Because you want your first rounders, they gotta make they gotta make game changing plays. In order to, you know, earn that first round status in terms of or you know, avoiding the bust label, which I said earlier this year. Darren Lee was on the verge of earning that label if he didn't step up. And well, Stepped up, and you got to give credit where it's due. Now, you know, let's hope he keeps it up. I I think he will. I don't see why not. He's got the athletic ability, and he's showing now that the lights come on, and he's proving a lot of doubters wrong, and I'm glad. <laughs> you know, I want the guy to keep doing it. He's got three interceptions tied to the league lead. Leads all linebackers. All of a sudden, a bad draft class looks pretty damn good. And you got a first rounder who's playing up to the hype. That, stuff like that happens, and all of a sudden, the team that was, that, you know, isn't supposed to be any good, the GM who couldn't identify talent, all these, all these negative narratives start going away because the team plays better, and they're getting major contributions from, from their draft picks. And it's obviously not just that class. You know, we talked about Leo a little bit ago. He had a few hits on Andrew Luck. And again, ragdolled an O-lineman that I would say is likely played a role in an interception. 
And then you have Jamal Adams, again, forced to fumble, deflected a couple passes that were intercepted. And now all of a sudden you have this young nucleus, this group of young players that a lot of people were upset about because, oh, man, we're drafting more defense. Oh, I can't believe we're drafting more defense, which I get. I felt the same. I, I, w- I wasn't thrilled with the Leonard Williams pick. And it wasn't because I didn't like Leonard Williams. It was because you felt like, damn, we need a, we need a playmaker. We need somebody on offense to make a difference. You know, they needed, they were in dire need of a receiver at that point. They went with Leo, and now things are turning around a little bit. And all of a sudden, those picks don't make any, you know, those picks don't make everyone mad anymore because we ended up getting the quarterback. Boy, how nice does it feel to say that? Jets got a quarterback. And yeah, it's, it's six games. It's early. You could still, you know, it hasn't proven anything, but I get it. But you just watch the guy play, and it's just hard to imagine, hard to fathom that he won't make it. Because really, he's been uh, he's been something else early on. But anyway, getting way back, got sidetracked big time there. But man, a lot to cover tonight. So so much so much good that came out of this game. But yeah, your top performers have to be Darnold, Myers, Jamal Adams. Even though he was hard on himself, Darren Lee did a really nice job. Daryl Roberts, eh, he wasn't, you know, fills in. He's uh, he's not the worst depth guy, you, you know, that you can have. You can do a lot worse than him. Avery Williamson, another stellar game from him. Steve McClendon, who makes the list just pretty much every week. You can just pencil him in before the game as a guy who's going to play well. And he always does, and no one notices. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. He, uh... Does a lot of the dirty work, doesn't get the respect, but I can assure you the team is well aware of the things he's doing, and he just man, he just does a lot of things well. So he was another one who stood out, at least to me. Chris Herndon, watching him get off the schneid, was a really good thing. I mean, just kind of just kind of felt like he was due. You know, he's too good a player. He can do too many things well to continue being a guy who is, you know, just getting one or two looks a game and not making any big plays. But one thing for Herndon, or not just Herndon, the fact that Herndon was more involved kind of speaks to the bigger picture. And probably my favorite thing about this win is early on, we saw Sam Donald spreading it out a lot, even before Quincy Newton was out of the game. I want to say on his first couple drives, he already hit seven receivers. That's... uh. That's a pretty good look for a guy who was, seems to be locked in to Quincy Inunua for much of this season. Too, you know, too much to a point. But Inunua goes down, and then all of a sudden, Jermaine Curse comes to life. And thank goodness for that, because that's something I, you know, I've tweeted that out a couple times. That, you know, you might as well trade Jermaine Curse if you're going to give him one or two targets a game, which is what was happening for his first few games back. But in this one, 10 targets, 9 catches, 94 yards, made some big plays. You know, we talked about Terrell Pryor earlier. He had 5 catches total for another 57 yards. So just some really quality performances across the board. Defense, special teams. Myers was a monster. 
Jamal Adams, Darren Lee. A lot of good things. A lot of things to be excited about right now for Jets fans. You know, nobody's. You know, not not saying they're going to. You know, they're, they're going to the playoffs now. Not saying that uh, there may not be a rude awakening in store. Because let's face it, um, there could be with Minnesota in the town. Because they got they got some players. They got some players on that roster who can make you know some difference makers. And uh, Kirk Cousins is having himself a heck of a year. So we'll see. We'll see how they deal with that. How the Jets deal with that pass rush because they have some really good ones. But we'll cover that. We'll cover that toward the end of the show. There was one thing I wanted to uh, to touch on tonight. That uh, something I noticed. I noticed it the other day, and I thought, oh, that's that's peculiar. Let's let's dig a little deeper and and see if there's anything to this. And I did some digging, and it looked like there was a little something to this. And the this that I'm referring to, it's the practice squad. The Jets practice squad and the way they're handling it has me wondering, are they, are the Jets doing some forward thinking here that we're not seeing from other teams? Because peculiar number. Okay, so, so here's what we found out. We saw the tweet earlier in the week from Field Yates saying that the Jets had given undrafted free agent center who, you know, some people thought was was maybe brought in as a favor to Sam Darnold, maybe not a real maybe not a real pro prospect. But undrafted center Nico Fala, USC, snapped to Darnold in college. They gave him a pay raise which it's always presumed that that's in order to prevent the team from, from poaching them from a team saying, oh, well, we'll just steal this guy off this team's roster because most of these guys make less than 200 grand a year. A ton of these guys, 160, 170, not a lot. And I did make it a, a mistake in the article. I will acknowledge off the bat. I, uh, I was thinking about the designation of the top 51 which is the calculation they use in figuring out uh, salary during the offseason when the rosters expand to 90. And that was a brain fart on my part. Um, that, that's in the offseason. Once the season starts, everybody, the 53 and your 10 practice squad guys and guys on IR, all of them count against the salary cap. And I had said that the, I'd said in the article that the practice squad guys don't count for a penny against the cap. I thought about it a little longer. I looked it up. Because again, I was kind of going off memory. I thought, okay, top fifty-one. That's those are the guys that count. And uh, obviously, that was wrong. But anyway, went back and corrected that. So the interesting thing was, I went and took a look at Nico Fala and see what he was making, and he was at four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. And I thought, wow, that's it's a pretty big number for a practice squad guy. Because again, historically, you see most of them make less than two hundred grand. So. I looked at I looked at the ten the ten man practice squad and the Jets actually had four guys making over four hundred thousand dollars. One of them was Davis Webb, former Giants draft pick, and the reason why they passed on Sam Darnold. Thank you, Giants. D'Angelo Henderson, running back who spent some time with the Broncos, he was making five hundred ten thousand. Then you had Follow making four twenty five, and Ben Braden making four twenty three. 
And I thought, wow, that's really weird. I really thought practice squad guys made less than this. So let me. I thought, let me let me take a look. Let's let's see how many other guys in the NFL that are currently on practice squads who are making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year, because the Jets had four. Going through the other thirty-one teams, the other three hundred and ten players, how many how many guys were making over four hundred thousand a year? Two. So the Jets have ten guys. Four of them are making over 400000 Of the remaining 310-ish, some teams may not have their practice squad maxed out, but let's say 300. Of the other 300 practice squad players in the NFL, there are two guys making over $400,000. So you have to wonder, is this some forward thinking by the Jets? Because you look at the positions these guys play. You look at where they could fit, you know, fit into the future, the future plans of the organization. And let's face it, even though this stuff does count against the cap, as I said, I was wrong saying it didn't. It, it's pennies to the cap, one point six million for all four of these guys. But you're paying them a salary that's similar to what they would receive elsewhere if they were poached onto another practice squad. So the Jets are paying these guys extra money. It would appear to keep them around because they they think that they legitimately have a chance to make this roster next year and to contribute. And it makes sense. Davis Webb, quarterback. Well, Josh McCown is 39. What are the odds of him being the backup again next year? I wouldn't hate that, to be honest. But maybe the Jets are looking at it like, look, maybe transition McCown to a coaching role, have Webb compete and probably have a really good shot to win that number two job. So you keep him on the roster by paying him five fifty. D'Angelo Henderson, five ten. Five as in five hundred and ten thousand. Bilal Powell is going to be thirty next season. Thirty thirty one. I forget the uh, how old is he? Thirty, I want to say, yeah. Anyway, he's old for a running back, even though, as I've said for years, he does not have thirty year old running back mileage. Light workload in college, light workload in his NFL career, keeps himself in good shape. Wouldn't be surprised if Bilal Powell plays well for a few more years. But that's neither here nor there. Then you have Fala, Nico Fala, 425000 Spencer Long, Jets just gave him a, a multi-year deal. That doesn't matter a great deal because if he doesn't play well, the Jets structured it, as, as I've said many times before, the Jets structured it in a way that will allow them to get out of that deal after this season. He can be cut. All of, all of Spencer Long's guaranteed money came this year. After this season, if they're not happy with him, they could let him go. And then maybe Fala comes in as your center. You know, you you would like to believe that the fact that they gave him that money and that raise is because he's doing some things that they like and they believe he can stick around versus as a favor to Sam Darnold. And last but not least, Ben Braden, guy who had a really impressive camp. He's another guy making over 400 k James Carpenter is in the last year of his deal. It looks to me like the Jets are looking ahead and saying, listen, if a team wants to poach this guy, they're going to have to pay him a little bit more than they would like to. And for the player, the player's probably not going to want to go. 
So now they can stay in a familiar system, make the same money, and have a chance to start next year or contribute. Versus maybe a team poaches them, keeps them on the active roster for a couple weeks, and then maybe they cut them because you're the 53rd guy on the roster. And then maybe in the meantime, the Jets brought in someone else to take your spot on the practice squad, and maybe they like that guy better. And now you're, uh, you know, scrounging for a job. So we'll see. It, it, I'm, I'm really curious to see how these guys get handled next season. And, and, and if, I'm, if I'm dead wrong, and if all four of these guys are cut before the end of the year or whatever, at whatever point, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to at least try to do what they're doing for that $1.6 million, I mean, come on, that's nothing. You're essentially paying a couple million extra to, to add roster spots to keep these guys in your building, in your organization, to work with them moving forward. Not a, not a bad plan, if you ask me. And I said Ben Braden, Ben Braden was impressive this preseason. A lot of people may not agree with that, but uh, I, I guess when I say impressive, he, he far exceeded my expectations. This is, you know, nobody saying he was dominant, but for a guy who was an undrafted player, looked to have, you know, pretty stiff hips out of college, thought he would really struggle at the pro level. He he had some games, from some practices where he held his own, and so you look at that and go, okay, maybe there's something there. Maybe he's better than we thought, and it seems to just feel that way because they went and, you know, gave him more than double what he might get on someone else's practice squad. So I like the move. I like the approach, and hopefully it pays off. You know, even if one of them becomes a, a solid player, that's it. Hey, you can turn some practice squad guys, get one out of four of them to be a good player in the NFL. That's not a bad. Uh, that's not a bad job because most of those guys don't see a roster or very few of them make it. So a nice job there by the front office, finding a way to get creative, add some spots. And one place where the Jets won't be adding a spot, because no one, it's, it's, it's not an IR situation for Marcus Mayer, Quincy, and Nunwa, but those are two big injuries. We mentioned the Nunwa earlier with the high ankle sprain. Marcus May, expect to miss several weeks with a broken thumb. Left the game the other day, uh, was seen leaving MetLife with the, uh, the cast on his hand, on his thumb. So they're going to miss him because the defense has looked or did look much better when he was in there. We saw the plays he made against Denver, had an absolute monster performance. Um, and, of course, now at this point you have to start worrying, is this going to be a, a career-long thing in terms of injuries? Because this is several big injuries that are going to keep him out for an extended period of time. And and we're only in year two for him. So guys like that, who, you know, tend to get injured an awful lot early on. They have a hard time shape, shaking that bug. So we will see, though. Because uh, he's a guy that you're counting on moving forward. Second round pick who played absolutely fantastic at times last year. Um not so not so well at others, but seeing what he did this year, the difference he made in that Denver game, you're thinking, okay, secondary is finally pieced back together. Let's see how we do, and uh, and then things didn't go so well. Or you know, didn't go so so well for Marcus May getting pulled. Of course, Doug Middleton maybe has to step in. Uh, the unfortunate thing with the as I mentioned earlier with 
with Justin Burris getting to stay on the roster because of the buster screen injury, the Jets opted to let go of J.J. Wilcox, who uh, who I feel is a much better player than Ron Tez Miles, who is eligible to come back this week, along with Elijah McGuire. Uh, no, the team hasn't announced their plans yet in terms of who will return, but I will say this. It certainly looks as if Ron Tez Miles is a sort of a uh, – uh, He's got a huge fan in Todd Bowles. Um, and Ron Tesmile should have a lot of fans. I've been saying that for years. That guy, The energy that guy plays with, the passion, he's one of those guys you look at and you just you wish everybody on your roster was like that. You know, there's no reason not to like Ron Miles and the way he plays the game. However, that doesn't mean J.J. Wilcox isn't a better player. And I think, I mean, the numbers bear that out. He is the better player. What is Todd Bowles going to go to Mike McCagnan and say, I got to have Tez, got to have, got to be on my roster, um, in which case someone will be let go. And then, of course, there's Eli McGuire, who brings up an interesting scenario because the Jets could, of course, try to sneak someone like Trenton Cannon, Trenton Cannon onto the practice squad. Uh, but if they think Cannon will get taken, maybe they look to let somebody else go. But you're not going to carry McGuire and Cannon and Powell and Crowell, you're not going to get, there's no need for that. So McGuire's going to have to, I mean, I like, I like McGuire a lot, as many of you know. Um, I, I do like Cannon. I like what Cannon brings, but I feel at this point, McGuire is probably the, the, the more well-rounded back. So we'll see what the Jets opt to do there. Um, it could be, could be interesting because obviously if they bring those guys back, players we have, will have to be let go. And, uh, and speaking of guys being let go, not that he, you know, not that I'm not saying he has been let go, but you have to wonder with as well as, as well as, or I should say as poorly as Eric Tomlinson is playing right now, and as well as Chris Herndon is playing on, you know, at his tight end spot, especially as a blocker. I mean, Eric Tomlinson is on this roster to block. And Chris Herndon is doing a pretty damn good job of that himself. And normally I don't think that's a big deal, but you're carrying four tight ends. You know, if you got a free upper roster spot somewhere, and you're Todd Bowles, are you not sitting in that, that film room and thinking, you know, Tomlinson's not a not a great deal better than what Herndon brings. So we can have Herndon do some of the things Tomlinson does. Although they do like to move Tomlinson into the backfield to be a fullback as well. Seen her and then moved into spots, sort of age back situations. But just a thought. I had the thought last week when Tomlinson had a, a play or two that stood out as not being all that great. And then you look at her and then you think, this guy's doing the thing that Tomlinson is supposed to be getting paid to do. But if they want to keep an extra blocker, and that, that I think that's another thing that possibly another factor, I should say, in Tomlinson is that the Jets are deploying a lot of three tight end sets. And if you cut Tomlinson and one of the other three gets injured, now that changes the way you have to approach your offensive game planning. So he may be safe for that reason, but I guess the the main point is it's nice to see how well Chris Herndon is blocking. He's doing a nice job out there. Uh, Jordan Leggett, as a run blocker, has been better than I expected. Pass blocker, he's been pretty bad. That's about what I expected. So we'll see how that changes, hopefully changes over time. 
Um, and one thing I meant to mention earlier, and th- this is uh, this is this is very noteworthy. The fact that the Jets, again with all the injuries to their receivers, some workouts today. And some people said, "Oh, why not bring back Trey McBride? He had a solid camp," which he did. You know, it's a fair point. There are some other other receivers out there that uh, that are available, but McBride was a name that came up quite a bit. But Rashard Matthews, Rashard Matthews came in to work out for the Jets today. No word on whether or not he signed. And I'd be surprised if he does, to be honest, because there is some depth here and there are multiple teams interested. But if the Jets sign Rashard Matthews, that gives them a guy who just comes up. I might go back three years to his first in to see at 65 grabs for 645 and nine touchdowns. Year two, 87 targets, 53 grabs, 795, four touchdowns. So he had a couple of really solid years for Tennessee. You know, right around 1,800 yards and 13 touchdowns in two years. And they, they, they here. six targets appeared in only three games. So he asked for his release. They granted it. And with Nunwood banged up, with Peak banged up, with, with Pryor banged up, the Jets had him in for a workout today. But he's one of those guys you look at and you think, what if you sign him and he plays like the guy he was a couple of years ago? And he scores a few touchdowns while he's here. You may have to hang on to him. That's a talented player. Not, I mean, having an opportunity to get a guy, someone's going someone's gonna to get a really good player. At a time when you generally don't, you know, you don't see player guys who, you know, averaging 800 yards a season. He had 660 the year before that. So his previous three seasons, his touchdown, his his yards and touchdowns were 662 and four, 945 and nine, 795 and four. You get a guy like that at this point in the season, you're you're doing all right. And when you know when I saw the Jets were having him in, I thought, I if they sign that guy. He's a guy that I, I I hope he finds a way to hang around, especially considering the fact that the Jets have some, uh, you know, quite a few guys who are free agents after this season, or due to be, you know, they can get guys locked up and signed before the season ends, of course, but they just uh, don't have a lot of receivers under contract beyond this year. But that was an interesting name that popped up. And like I said, he, he played with the Dolphins a couple of years ago, had a nice season with them. Um, so a little bit familiar with him, but just a good player who the Jets brought in today. So we'll see if anything gets made out of that. And, uh, and if, uh, you know, another target is added for Sam Darnold. And I think that's one, I think if we don't see someone like that brought in, I think there's a good chance that, uh, we just see the tight ends more heavily involved, which would be good news for Chris Herndon and Jordan Leggett. Um, you know, Neil Sterling, if he gets some looks, so, you know, they have some pass catchers who can, who can make up for the the absence of a guy like Inunua. But if they want, you know, if if they're looking to add another established receiver, Robinson could be the way they go, Uh, you know, maybe Trey McBride. Weird thing is, on a side note, you look at some of the free agents that are out there, like you look at all the drops the Colts had the other day. If I'm the Colts, why why aren't you calling Jeremy Curley? I know he's been around for a little while, but the guy doesn't drop footballs. He's a free agent. And I, 
saw three, four, five drops from the Colts, and it was the same thing the week before. And Jeremy Curley must be sitting at home going, what the hell's going on? None of these guys can hold on to the football. I don't drop anything and uh, can't get a phone call. So just a, between between Jeremy Curley still sitting out there, you know, as a free agent, Bashard Matthews, hell, there are free agents out there that could significantly upgrade some receiving course. So we'll see what happens. The reports on Matthews is that there are several teams interested aside from the Jets. That's why I believe if I'm Rashard Matthews, I'm looking at this depth chart, and I'm going to go sign somewhere else. Because uh, once Enun was healthy, uh, you know, you're going to be the third, fourth guy, um, and you know, fourth or fifth guy, depending on who who fits where. And Deontay Burnett, we, I talked about him um, or wrote about him earlier. Unlikely he gets activated, but it would be, it would be nice to see. You know, Sam Darnold's top target in college. He's on the Jets practice squad. Had himself a real preseason with Tennessee. But uh, the fact the Jets are bringing guys into workout tells me they're not. Uh, Deontay Barnett's not at the top of their list. But it would be nice to see him get some run and maybe make some plays. Get him in there with a, a guy who really has more chemistry with Sam Darnold than any other receiver on the roster. But the, it, it, it bears watching because you would have to imagine that at some point uh, the Jets are going to look to bring somebody in. You know, who gets let go that, you know, we'll have to wait and see if they do bring somebody in. I would think Terrell Basham would be a prime candidate to uh, hit the bricks as, you know, that sort of bottom of the roster guy who was just brought in. Those tend to be the, those bottom couple roster spots are the ones that seem to have a lot of turnover. So that may be the case again, but we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see how the Jets approach it. But we will also see how the Jets approach the Vikings. And this one is not going to be not going to be an easy one. Minnesota's got some good players on both sides of the ball. They have some good DBs. They can get and boy, can they get to the quarterback? Danielle Hunter's got seven sacks this year, just on his own. And I want to say PFF said he had something like twenty-one pressures. So the guy's on pace for like a seventy pressure season, which is just insane. Maybe not 70, maybe 50, 55. A lot, a ton. So that's Hunter. Then, of course, you have the return of Sheldon Richardson, former New York Jets, signed with the Vikings this offseason after being traded to the Seattle Seahawks by the Jets. You can bet Sheldon Richardson's going to be looking to uh, grab some headlines while he's back in New York playing against his former team. So... As I said, it's it, it's going to be tough sledding for that old line. They've got uh they, they've got some good good pass rushers, some some stout defenders that are going to be trying to to make life miserable for Sam Darnold. On offense, Vikings led by none other than Kirk Cousins. And by the way, if you're mad about if you're if you're like mad at Kirk Cousins because he signed with the Vikings, why? You should be. We should be thanking him, me included. I was a hundred percent on board with signing. I almost said Sam Darnold with signing Kirk Cousins. I wanted an established guy because I'm tired of the 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 you know the guessing games. But listen, 
things worked out. You know, I see people, oh, because of this class list, let's kick his ass for this. I don't think, I don't think the Jets players care. I think the Jets owe Kirk Cousins a big thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for saving us the money. We got another. We got a good player anyway. You know, on social media saying "f this guy" and can't believe he did this, and he's, he's who cares? Got a quarterback is what he did. A younger, much younger quarterback with a higher ceiling, making about one twentieth of what we would have been paying Kirk Cousins. And again, I wanted the guy. One hundred percent wanted him. Not gonna, not gonna, you know, do the revisionist history thing. Why were they gonna sign him anyway? That would have been stupid. No, but I also said at the time, I said I want Kirk Cousins, and if you don't get him, I'm one hundred percent fine with that. Because you're getting a quarterback. If you're gonna be Donald Rosen or Mayfield, but as it turns out, well, we know how it turned out. But yeah, any any issues with with Cousins is is baffling to me. Because of the fact that the Jets all have a deal, but anyway, this is the uh, the biggest story here. Because the biggest story is, is the way that Adam Thielen is playing for the Vikings. The guy's playing out of his mind. We're in week six. He got seven hundred and twelve yards. He's averaging a hundred and eighteen per game. Averaging 118 yards per game. Stephon Diggs on the other side. He's got himself 40 grabs for 435. And a few touchdowns. And of course starting tight end Kyle Rudolph. He'll be a, he'll be a good test. For this secondary. Ebron had some success last week. And now Kyle Rudolph comes to town this week. Could be a challenge for. For Jamal Adams. Darren Lee, whoever's going to be asked to cover him, whether it's Doug Middleton, if he gets the nod out there. But no matter how you look, I mean, that's what makes this game so tough to me, is those players I just mentioned. You have two big-time receivers, and the Jets' corners, Jets' secondary, gave up a lot of yards to receivers who were nowhere near as good as these guys. Nowhere near it. And then, of course, the the pass rush. Hopefully, listen, if the Jets are able to neutralize the pass rush the way they did the last couple games, that would be fantastic. I mean, you know, Von, Von Miller's no slouch, folks. If you can shut him down, ideally, ideally, you should be able to at, at least keep guys in check. And if the Jets can do that and give Sam Darnold time, then they have a chance to win this game. Go to four and three. How crazy would that be after that one and three start? If this team on Monday morning finds themselves finds themselves four and three, that would be absolutely unbelievable. Like I said earlier, that one and three start, and I started looking up and down the schedule. I thought, man, they might they might not see a win till the till they play Buffalo after the bye, and even then, Buffalo's defense is lights out right now. If Josh Allen starts to get it just a little bit. And he can score, you know, put up average 16, 17 game. Buffalo's not that uh, cakewalk that uh, that a lot of us thought it would be, myself included. I really thought when they lost, you know, what, three, four starters on the O-line, I thought, man, this team has no shot to do anything. 
and they don't in terms of like they're not going to the playoffs, but they just they, they, they can make you pay. They can make you not. They're guaranteed. There's a lot of teams right now that don't want to play them because of the fact that they're going to, it's going to be a long day for you and your offense. At least they have up to this point. Vikings, though, different story. They're getting fantastic quarterback play. They've got a pair of receivers who are doing an absolutely great job. And it's a, you know, Kirk Cousins fans, the Bluebirds are going to be out. I think it's misdirected. I really don't, I'm, you know, again, should be thanking the guy. Best quarterback. Because Kirk Cousins said, just said no. So I say just say thank you to Kirk Cousins. And that's going to wrap things up for us here. Oh, quick prediction, of course. Uh, you know, I I I don't want to be negative. I really don't. So you know what? I'm not going to be negative. It's just a prediction, right? Nobody's keeping score at home. Let's say uh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say the I'm, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. I think the Jets are going to be able to use you know the, the quick screens and things like that to to negate the the uh, the Vikings pass rush, at least keep them at bay a little bit. Take some deep shots down the field. We've seen that uh, that Sam Darnold is building some rapport with his receivers, and the accuracy, the deep ball accuracy, isn't the same issue it was early on. Robbie, you know, Robbie will be healthy. I think we see the tight ends get a little a little bit more involved. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say 34-31 Jets. I'm going to say 34-31 Jets. And you know what? If I'm wrong and it's three nothing Jets, I'll be thrilled with that, that with that anyway. All we want this week is a win. This season, as we know, is supposed to be about the development of a quarterback. But you start putting stringing some wins together along the way, and put yourself in position to play some meaningful games in December. That you couldn't ask for any more. You really couldn't. So the Jets are going to go, go out there against Minnesota, three and three, chance to go to four and three. Hope they pull it off. I think they'll pull it off. Health of the team will be an issue, but let's uh, let, let's let's. Let's give Todd Bowles some credit here. Let, let's say Todd Bowles finds a way to to rally his defense and get a couple big stops late in the game because they will need them. That does it for us tonight on Jet Nation Radio. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and we look forward to being back here next week, hopefully talking about the third win in a row, a three-game homestand that gets the team over 500 and really makes them a legitimate team to uh, to make a push for a playoff run. You know, a little early to say that, but four and three, you're right in the thick of it in this league. So again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will catch you back here next week. You take care, Jets fans.